Stand by for VC News Daily podcasts featuring interviews with the most exciting startup CEOs, venture capitalists, and other movers and shakers at the intersection of business, technology, and capital. Welcome to VC News Daily Podcasts. I'm Linda van Tolberg, and here with me is David Schreier. He is a futurist, especially in the field of education, a professor at Imperial College Business School in London, and co-founder of Esme Learning Solutions. David, lovely to have you here. Well, tell us, what is Esme Solutions all about? Yeah, absolutely. So we deliver career transformation for people, right, through online executive classes. And the big problem that we solve is that we make it possible for people to collaborate at a distance. And this is an essential element for high-impact, durable learning. Durable meaning it's knowledge that persists, that you hold on to. You know, most online learning follows a model that, you know, neurologically you forget about 50% of within a day or two. It's known as the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve if you're interested in the research behind it. But, but basically just throwing up uh, videos like bad television on the screen doesn't help you learn. So there are a bunch of companies that have gotten started that started this, you know, this edutainment of charging you money to watch videos. That's not learning. That's not online learning. Online learning is actually acquiring new knowledge and then learning how to apply it. And part of how you learn how to apply it is you talk to other people, you talk to peers about it, and you work together on a problem that you solve with these new skills. And that more closely resembles what it's like at work. You know, most people don't work alone in a box. Most people work as part of a team trying to solve a problem together. And the best learning sort of functions a lot like that. And we got together around this idea, uh, my co-founder and I, off of the back of quite a number of experiences and and research. Can you give us a little bit about your background and that of your co-founder? So so Beth Porter, my co-founder, was the chief product officer at edX. So she created the largest open source consortium in the online learning business, the Open edX, which is used by 55 million learners. And before that, she was uh, VP of Software Product Management leading um, Pearson's higher ed online offering, which is, again, 50 million learners. And so she's building these large-scale learning systems. She's been building ed tech for a long time, uh, particularly from a product and technology standpoint. And then I've been doing work on the one hand in what's known as computational social science. So it's the field of using computers to understand people and then help people perform better. And on the other hand, I had kind of fallen into this online learning thing. I was teaching MIT's FinTech class on campus, which was the first graduate FinTech class in the world. And we were very popular on campus and some entrepreneurs from South Africa came into our office and said to me, hey, we wanna put your FinTech class online. And that helped create an entire new category of online classes where these tier one schools like MIT and, and Oxford and others would put their classes uh, available to anyone in the world for fee, but to anyone in the world in kind of an open format. And so that really sort of revolutionized the industry. But along the way, I also was experimenting with these questions of how to partner with Fortune 50 companies. And so I said, okay, uh, so I was working with Boeing and you know, Boeing said, you know, we need to get everybody in our supply chain to be better at handling complex systems. And they talked to NASA and NASA said, yeah, you know, that's a really good idea. So I got Boeing and NASA to partner with MIT 
and create an entire new program around systems engineering, which now is uh, responsible for a substantial portion of, of all of MIT's online revenue. So after I created the sort of the three most profitable online classes in history, it's kind of sitting there going, you know, we need to do better. We've got all this stuff on the research side with how to get people to collaborate in groups and use technology to make that better. And then we have this online stuff, which still has this deficiency of, of the group collaboration, the group work, which is where essential learning happens. And so around that time, the dean's offices at, at MIT and Oxford came to Beth and I and said, look, we know you guys, we've worked with you guys for years. You've worked with each other for years. You know, Beth and I have founded a couple of companies together. And they said, why don't you guys start a company so that you can be our innovation partner? And that led to the birth of Esme Learning. And that was before COVID. That was in 2019. And, and with COVID, I mean, you're in exactly the right place. It's been an interesting year. We keep growing faster than I expect. So we had gotten just a little bit of money together uh, at the beginning of March of last year, right before sort of the COVID lockdowns. And the thinking was, you know, we'll build a few things and, and we'll sort of grow organically. And then COVID hit and suddenly, you know, the phone's ringing off the hook. So we have half a dozen classes signed with each of MIT and Oxford. We've got two other top 10 universities that are at contract that should sign within the next month or so. And, you know, more inbound interest and global interest. So your online classes, is it all about fintech? No, this is all about a variety of advanced technology, leadership and strategy classes that help prepare executives for the new future, for, you know, the industrial revolution 4.0, right? For this digital transformation of the world. Uh, so, for example, we just announced a, a class with MIT around health innovation. And so one of MIT's top health professors, Roz Picard, is leading that program and delivering essential skills for entrepreneurs who want to begin new health and digital health companies. And that also highlights another thing, which is we believe in profit. We're a for-profit business. We're backed by investors, but we're also very mission-driven. And, and one of the missions that we are addressing is, if you want to phrase it in, in commercial context, diverse teams perform better. They come up with better ideas and more profitable ideas. And diversity needs to be on the scales of, of gender diversity and, and ethnic diversity. And so our business is 60% women, uh, including at the executive level and from a, a variety of ethnic backgrounds. And we carry that forward into our classes. And so Roz is one of several leading female engineering and hard technology professors who are driving classes for us. And and so our portfolio is significantly more uh, diverse in terms of the role models and leadership of the classes than our competitors. So we also have several other very exciting programs that we are beginning to announce. Uh, so Pinar Ozcan is a professor at Oxford who is leading classes on platforms and digital disruption and AI and finance. And so, so yes, we do have fintech and we do have other topics. But one thing that's notable is that we're bringing diverse voices forward in delivering these content packages. Blockchain, digital disruption, cybersecurity, these are things that suddenly you know, became really important during the pandemic when everybody was working remotely and companies still had the systems back in a box somewhere at the office. And real people too, people with, with tangible commercial perspectives helping business executives understand these things. So for example, the blockchain program is led by a faculty member at Oxford, but also by Meltem Demers, who runs a billion dollar blockchain company. 
that just went public on one of the NASDAQ uh, North exchanges. So, so, you know, we really believe in delivering value to our students. And a big part of that is, you know, you should be learning things that you could use at work tomorrow. Not something that's just like basically a TED talk, but with a fee attached. Some of the incredible things I've been watching is this whole sort of COVID-driven digital learning explosion has been happening is how many businesses are built around the model of we're going to do TED Talks, except we're going to charge for them. And I'm sitting there thinking, TED is a fantastic organization that's already done a great job of delivering TED Talks for free. So why do you need to sit there and pay three, four, five, eight hundred dollars for a TED Talk when, when you can get it for free at TED.com? And so we need to deliver more value than just a TED Talk. We need to deliver real tangible academic informed knowledge that you can use at work and that can help you with transformational career outcomes. So who's this for? Is this for anybody who thinks they might not have the AI skills that they should have in this era that we're living in? I mean, there are a lot of executives. So our students are typically not like undergraduates or young grad students. These are working professionals, 30, 40, 50 years old, who are trying to keep their skills current. They are trying to stay relevant in this sort of new world order that is being driven by digital transformation. And so they are directors and VPs and CEOs and sort of experienced professionals. Probably two thirds of our students have graduate degrees, but they recognize that if you want to stay relevant, if you don't want to be made redundant because of you know some new technology that comes along, you need to show your proficiency in that technology. You know some of the classes that we've created. You know, governments look at them and say, if you've taken this class, it's equivalent to having work experience in this particular domain space. So we really have what the academics would call rigorous pedagogy, but we framed it in a way that, you know, if you're the student, you're going to get something that you can use tomorrow. So I've had former students who have like printed out some of the material from our classes and framed it and put it up in their conference room and refer to it daily back when people were going to their offices. So it's that kind of knowledge where it's like, you know, I'm using this all the time. Yeah, and I think people are worried that AI is taking jobs. So is this sort of a way of trying to keep ahead of the curve? This is a topic I think about a lot, actually. So, so I have a new book coming out in June called Augmenting Your Career, How to Win at Work in the Age of AI, and Little Brown's publishing it. And the frame of the book is basically, look, yes, there is this risk that AI could automate you out of work. Or if you develop data and AI literacy, you, in fact, can remain relevant as someone who partners with an AI. Because the, the interesting thing, and we demonstrate this, frankly, with the technology we use in our classes, basically there's a concept known as centaurs, right? From Greek mythology, you know, half man, half horse. So a similar concept exists in work where if you partner with the AI rather than competing with it, you can create things that neither you alone nor the AI alone could create. That's sort of the premise of the book and something that we try to deliver in our classes as well. David, can we look at the financials? So where are you now? As our growth sort of exploded, our existing investors came back for more. So we ended up raising a total of $7.5 million with them. And then we grew again. You know, So we raised a bunch of money because we were accumulating so many classes and we had to build them so rapidly. But then two more universities showed up and they, they want to do classes. We're starting to build those classes. So we're very likely to, to bring in a bit more money this spring and then do a more substantial round in the fall of this year, or early next year. Right now, 
there's a pivotal moment that is occurring. So first of all, you have all the COVID-driven growth, okay? So that has dramatically accelerated the, the market. But even aside from COVID, there was fundamental and structural growth in online learning. And so the, the compound annual growth rate for, for digital is 400% higher than conventional learning. The $7.3 trillion education services industry is undergoing digital transformation itself. And so we are right at the forefront of that transformation and have an opportunity to enable it in productive ways. And so even after COVID is resolved, even after, you know, most people are vaccinated and we're, we're getting back to, to work, it is expected that somewhere between 8 and 10% of, of students will have permanently transitioned to online just within a year. And so we expect that trend to continue as people realize the benefits of, you know, I don't have to quit my job in order to go to school for two years with some skills that then when I get out, I have to catch up on those lost wages. Instead, you can continue to learn while you're continuing to earn. You have leading universities involved, Oxford, MIT. And can you give us insight on who these other universities are that are considering it? I mean, I can give you a broad hint insofar as we work with the top 10 universities in the world. So it's one of the other eight that we didn't mention previously, uh, or two of the other eight. That's driven by some, some market changes, right? So there are about 25,000 universities in the world. In the future, like over the next 10 years, most likely what's going to happen in education, maybe 20 years, but 10 to 20 years, most likely you're going to see a bifurcation. So the top 10 or even, let's argue, 20 universities in the world are still going to be around and they're still going to be serving students because, you know, if you could take a class from MIT, why wouldn't you? And on the other end of the spectrum, very, very low cost per credit universities that offer degrees at a very, very low cost uh, will probably continue to thrive because the value proposition of having that low cost credential is you know, sufficient. The people in the middle are going to get compressed. You know, I don't want to be running a business school that's ranked number 50 10 years from now because someone will have the opportunity to take classes from a top 20 school online or from a much lower cost school. But a, a business school that costs 50 or $100,000 a year but is not ranked in the top ranks uh, is going to be a poor return on investment for students. And so we're seeing that shift happening right now. So you don't expect after COVID that this whole enthusiasm for online learning will taper off and people will want to go back to classes? I think it's going to modulate. I think it's going to, it's going to go through another evolution. So blended and hybrid learning, for example, is a hot topic. The flipped classroom. So imagine if you consumed videos and had exercises and worked on problems at home. And then when you went into the classroom, you're discussing with people and you're actively problem solving or going through a simulation or something, as opposed to going into the classroom and being given a lecture and then going off and having the discussion at home, right? So the flipped classroom model is something that has been shown to deliver very good learning outcomes. And so we, we may see that, but I also think, let us not forget that there's also an educational access issue, right? There are a billion people who don't have access to higher ed who, who need access to higher ed. And so there's lots of room, headroom, if you would, for, for online learning to continue to evolve and grow and support more and more people in more and more places. You must be excited about growth. How many people are you at the moment? 
we are excited by growth. And I want to bookmark that for because, you know, there's a whole other opportunity we'd even talk about working with corporations. But, but to answer your question about headcount and things, we have about almost 40 people now working at the company. And I expect that we'll be 80 by the end of the year. So we were 20 at the beginning of January. So we're growing rapidly. So a 400% growth in a bit over a year is kind of the trajectory. But we also work very closely with our university partners. So the faculty at the university, even grad students or, or postdocs at the university, university administration and staff are all involved in this collaborative enterprise to open up education and provide more access in more places to people all over the world, not just limited to those who can fly to a university for you know, in-person training which will happen again. I do expect that to happen again. But I also expect that there are more people out there who would love to have the chance to take an Oxford class or an MIT class or, or a class from another university who, you know, they can't, for a variety of reasons, they can't spend two weeks traveling and then being on site and then traveling back. So, so I really do think there's continued opportunity there. But the people who help us deliver those programs are a combination of our people and uh, university partners. You mentioned the possibility of also working with companies. Um, what else is in the pipeline? I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. What I've described to you is, if I can change my metaphor, is the opening act. Because I'm not interested in classes for classes' sake. I'm interested in classes that help deliver transformational outcomes to people, to companies, and to governments. And so we have already begun working with Fortune 50 companies on the one hand and governments on the other on how the classes we create can deliver digital transformation. How can you pivot your organization to deal with new technology and new capabilities? How can you, you pivot your economy to grow out of the COVID mess and reskill your workforce to deal with the new future? Those are questions that I think get really interesting. And, and that's the long-term future of our business. I know that there are apps out there to upgrade your digital skills. PwC recently launched one. But how do you ensure engagement that people don't say, well, I've got a little bit busy and I don't have time anymore, and that they don't stick to the program? So we use a variety of mechanisms. And so the completion rate is, is a measure of how many people who start a course finish a course. And so Coursera is in the headlines. They just are, announced their IPO. Uh, edX is another major competitor of Coursera. You know, companies like that usually have completion rates of about 3%. That low? That low. Peer-reviewed research from MIT published on this talked about that uh, recently, just, just like a year or two ago. And the trend has been downwards, right? It's been getting worse and worse. Even, you know, some other headline-grabbing companies, I'm not going to name names, but some people who purportedly compete with us, you know, have completion rates of, even if you pay for it, you know, 25%. Possibly 50, 70%. Our completion rate is 97%. So That's we nice. deliver concierge learning. Yeah. So we work with people. If you're going to commit to taking one of the ESME learning classes, we are going to work with you to give you the support and encouragement so that you get through the class and get that essential knowledge. And so part of it is from this uh, peer learning, because it turns out that peer learning also delivers that sense of you're in a cohort, you're in a community that makes you want to come back for more and continue on. Part of it is the coaching staff that we have. So we have human coaches who work with our students to make sure they're keeping up with the work. We have tutors and teaching assistants who, again, live human beings who help you understand the material and keep up with the class. And then we have these AI systems that are 
looking at your interactions and giving you positive reinforcement to, to help you stay with the material. And so it's that combination of factors that delivers our industry-leading 97% completion rate. That's incredible. David, last question. How much money do you want to raise in the next round? So I expect that we'll raise a low eight-figure round imminently, like within the next 45 days. And then I anticipate that we'd probably raise a, a significantly larger round fourth quarter of this year, first quarter of next year. Thank you so much and good luck. It just sounds like exactly the course that I should take. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And, and um, we're really excited to be part of transforming a $7 trillion industry. And, and I think we've got some very, very interesting and unique tools and capabilities to do it. David Schreier, the co-founder of Esme Learning Solutions. This has been Linda van Tilburg for VC News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy your day. You've been listening to VC News Daily podcast series. Visit vcnewsdaily.com to find more interviews with the business world's top movers and shakers, as well as our daily digest of venture capital financings.